This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. My name is Brandon Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm always happy to have Tim Maxwell on the show. He is here today. He is the Sacktown Baby Giraffe. How are you doing today, Tim? doing fabulous thanks for having me on guys yeah we appreciate you coming on man and uh the plan for today is we just have a lot of uh general questions some random ones we're gonna have some uh yeah some who we think the best is at each thing who will be the top of different categories and things like that and uh where do you think we want to kick this off rich yeah, I think that we call this our superlatives episode. So, yeah, like you said, who on the team will be best at what? Um, and I think that an easy way to start that is with the awards that are generally, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to speak generally about the Kings, but these awards are league-wide awards, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Six Man, that sort of stuff. But we're going to keep it just to this Kings team. So, you know, with that, let's just start this off real simple, most obvious superlative who's going to be the mvp of the kings this season uh i mean the easy one for me is De'Aaron fox does anyone have a different pick than that i think it has to be if they want to be good right i mean that's kind of how the team's going to go is however De'Aaron fox goes yes i think that is the only way to go here as well um maybe this is kind of an anticlimactic one to start off with but Right now, I, it's got to be Fox. But then I was wondering, you know, who is second on this list for you guys? We'll start with you, Tim. If there was like a, a runner-up, are you leaning Buddy or are you leaning Bagley? Because that, that seems like the question to me, the more interesting question. Yeah, I lean Buddy. Um, I think Bagley's ultimately going to be the better and more important player over the next three to four years. But I think next year, Buddy's still got another level to him, maybe not an all-star level, but he's still got another level to his game that he can improve on. Um, and then Bagley's, you know, he's a second year player. He's still going to be developing. So I would stick with Buddy. Yeah, I'm the same there. Uh, I, I think that Bagley still is going to take a little bit of time. He's going to have his down games and, uh, Buddy for the most part has a little bit more consistency to him. I think he's, uh, very reliant on, or a very big part of the offense of this team compliments Fox. Well, um, yeah, it, it's still Buddy for me there. Are you uh, different than us on that one, Rich, or how are you feeling? I agree with you guys. For me, it's a pretty clear one, two, three order here for Fox, Buddy, and Bagley as far as who the best player on this team is. I think there will be games when Bagley really struggles and Barnes, you know, even creeps up as a more important or better piece in that that game that night. Um, and there'll be games where Bagley is really killing it and he can creep up to second or even the first most important player on the team that night. But yeah, and, and generally speaking, I'm going Fox, Buddy, Bagley. But let's get to the next one. Defensive player of the year for the Kings. Tim, why don't you tell us uh, who your pick is here? I'm going with Barnes. I think there's a couple guys that could get in there. Rashawn Holmes would be a candidate. He's a very, very strong defender and very versatile. Dwayne Dedman's pretty solid as well. Uh, but I think Harrison Barnes, um, the fact that he can guard multiple positions, he can really take shooting guard, small forward, or power forward on the opposite end of the floor. I think in the starting lineup, he's the best defender, and he's going to be the guy the Kings really rely on as their stopper. We know it's a guard and wing-heavy league as far as scorers go, so when you're facing LeBron or Paul George or um, any one of those multiple-level athletes and multiple-level wings, Harrison's going to be the one that steps up and guards them and hopefully slows them down if not stops them. So 
for me, it's Harrison Barnes. I don't know if you're on the same page with me, Brendan. Yeah, you know, uh, Barnes and Holmes are definitely two that I thought of pretty quickly, but I think I might go Fox here. Um, like we mentioned, like, you know, the likes of Devin Booker, Steph Curry. I think that I'd like to see Fox on those guys rather than Buddy. And I think that uh, De'Aaron could have a pretty big year. There's a lot of guards in the league that really uh, handle a lot of the scoring, a Donovan Mitchell type. And I think that Fox showed that he was a, a good defender last year. And I think there's a never, another level he can take to his game, just getting smarter on that end. So uh, I, I like the people that you shouted out, but I think I'm going to lean Fox here. And it's not by much over a Barnes or uh, the two centers on the roster. I think you both make good points. In my mind, I was thinking Fox at first, but Tim brings up something important here, which is position. And I just quickly looked up who actually won Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA and, uh, you know, in the recent history. And basically no point guards are on this list. You have to go all the way back to Gary Payton in 1995-96 for the last guard to win this award. I mean, this is a big dominated award with some wings thrown in there. So I think there's, a, there's actually a strong case um, that Tim put forward there for Barnes. Does that change your opinion at all, Brendan? Yeah. You know, if we're talking about the award, then yeah. I, I was mainly thinking who I think will be the best defender on the team this year. Do you think maybe, are you talking maybe more ta- like their talent versus their importance? Yeah, maybe. Um, Yeah, I I see what you're saying here because Fox, the second he gets onto a three, is going to struggle, you know, and Barnes can maybe try to hold his own against a one. Uh, There's just more versatility there. So I I come around to it a little bit. Like I said, there's not that much of a difference between them for me. Well, let's move on to six man of the year. And it seems like there's an easy, obvious answer here, but – might as well just fire it off. This is a deeper team than we thought. There's more bench players than we've had in many recent years. So maybe it's a little bit uh, of a hot take. But, Tim, why don't you tell us who your sixth man is? It's got to be Bogey. I mean, assuming he's not in the starting lineup for some reason, I think he will be in the running for the actual sixth man of the year award in the NBA if the Kings play as well as we hope we do. And he has the year that we need him to have to perform at that level. So I think if he's going to be in the competition for that running or in the competition for that award, on a league-wide level, I don't see how I could pick anyone else uh, at, a, at a team level. Yeah, I'm the same here. This is an easy one for me, and I feel like uh, Rich is going to make an argument for Rashawn Holmes here, though. I sure. am. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I was going to make that exact argument. I think that there is a – you know, we've talked about the Rashawn holmes Montrez Harrell uh, comp, right? We've talked about it a lot. It's been talked about on, uh, you know, on broadcasts, on you know, KHTK, everywhere. People are bringing it up and there might be kind of a Lou Will, Montrez Harrell vibe between Bogey and uh, Rashawn Holmes. And I mean, I could see them both being in the conversation. I, I definitely agree. Bogey is the most likely one here. So I'm going to go one, two, Bogey, Holmes. Is anyone else popping into Is If anyone comes to mind, just throw them into this mix or we can just move on. No one else comes to mind, but I think Holmes might be disqualified because I might think he, I think he might end up starting halfway through the year. So that's my little bit of a hot take. I like that. We've, we talked about this a little bit on the podcast that Dwayne Dedman is an incredibly solid fundamentals guy. He's going to spread the floor. He's going to play sound defense. He's going to block shots, but he can't run in the way that Willie Cauley Stein did where maybe Rashawn Holmes can do both of those things. Does that seem like a possibility to you, Tim? I think it's possible. I don't, I don't know if it's likely. I mean, they paid Deadman the big money. I mean, he, he was the guy a lot of us wanted. And he, he, the fact that he does stretch the floor, which you brought up, is so important because Holmes doesn't. And Bagley may or may not stretch the floor, so there would not be a lot of space in there. Uh, but I, I, think it's, I think it's possible that halfway, three-quarters of the way through the year, if Deadman isn't quite shooting at the level he did last year, that Holmes can slip in there and – be that defensive presence, rebounding presence, and pick and roll presence that the Kings kind of need in their starting lineup. Yeah, you know, I, I had a we had a couple questions we wrote before this, and I'll throw this one towards you, Rich, because it falls under this. Who do you think will close more games this year, Deadman or Holmes? I am going to. So here's where I'm at with this. I think that Bagley 
starts and closes uh, pretty much every game this year. So I think that Deadman makes more sense in both of those lineups because you just can't have two non-shooters in the game. You can't have two big guys that need to play near the basket. So for me, I think Deadman does open and close most games, and it's simply because I don't believe in Marvin Bagley's shot becoming something that other teams will have to respect and, and guard out to the, the three-point line. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. I think Deadman makes the most sense. I think most games he'll, he'll end. I think if there's going to be a sub, which won't be common at the end of a game, it might be Holmes for Bagley. If Bagley isn't defending at the level that Luke Walton wants him to defend, I think there might be some lessons taught throughout the year um, once those two get comfortable in the relationship because we know Bagley isn't necessarily a strong defender and there will be times when the Kings need that presence in the paint late in games, especially if they're in that, play- in, if they're in that playoff race. Yeah, I, I, go ahead. No, I'm also going to throw out their bogey because they can go small. They can go Fox, Buddy, Bogey, uh, Barnes, and Bagley. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that's definitely fun. a possibility. Um, I, I think the reason that I was able to ask that is because I do think we're going to see variability. Like you said, you can throw uh, Bagley in there closing as the five as well. And then another question I had that kind of ties into this six-man of the ward thing, I feel like, is, I had, who do you think is the most likely award winner for the Kings? And uh, you mentioned, you, Tim, that you think Bogey's a six-man-of-the-year candidate. To me, that was kind of an easy pick for that. Uh, w- would you guys agree with that one there? What, you may start with you, Tim. Yeah, either that or I think Fox could be in the running for most improved again. Uh, we saw in that GM survey that came out a couple of days ago, he was the number one player voted to have a breakout season this next year. So I think he still could be in the running for that, even though he was in the running for it last year. That's a possibility, but I would, if I were a betting man, I would, I would put my money on Bogey. Um, you in the same boat, Rich? Yeah, no chance that a King wins MVP this year. Like I think we know that um, we just don't yet have a top ten player, uh, defensive player of the year. That's even maybe more unlikely. Uh, there just isn't isn't that dude on this team. Six man, yeah, Bogey here is an absolute great bet. But I love the most improved player discussion here is another possibility because that's the next question I had for you guys. Who is the most improved player on this team next season? Um, If you want to follow up your statement there about Fox, Tim, and then maybe throw in anyone else you think could compete for this, because I do have another guy that I think, uh, I think could get in the conversation. Yeah. Fox would probably be my number one pick. I think we saw that big jump last year and, even that jump we saw, he was still maddeningly inconsistent from a game to game, even from a minute to minute perspective. And so if he can step up that level of consistency, we're going to see him go from, you know, I would say most league folks would rank him anywhere from like the eighth to 12th best point guard. And I think he can get into that top five or six conversation if he takes the, if he becomes more consistent. And then my other candidate would be Marvin Bagley. He's going to get the minutes increase. He's going to get the usage increase. Uh, he's going to have the experience increase. So he, a lot of folks think Bagley could hit that 2010 range next year. And if he's in that realm, um, he, he would be in that conversation as well. But for now, I, I would stick with Fox. Yeah, I think those are the two obvious ones. And I'm not, uh, I think we mentioned this the other day, the 2010 for Bagley. I think I'm closer to like uh, 17, 18 and eight, something around that range, a little bit less than that. But, you know, getting five, six more minutes per game should do it for him. And Fox is a most improved. Like, I feel like it's more so because it would be more so because people weren't aware of how good he really was last year Um, and more eyes being on him. A, a kind of a sleeper pick for this is I think Bogdanovich because he did have a down year last year um, just getting those points up and her, his percentages back up closer to what he was rookie year and above that I think he could sneak into this conversation too yeah and I'm going to shoehorn Rashawn Holmes into every conversation we have uh, just because he really I don't know if he gets so that even if he doesn't start and close there's a real chance he gets like 25 minutes a night even. Like I think he could he could somehow play more minutes than Deadman, although not necessarily start or close. Uh, mm-hmm. And in that scenario, I could see him really improving um, his numbers. But yeah, Bagley was the guy that I think should be in this conversation for sure. Um, he If he gets anywhere near 20 and 10, anywhere near it, he's going to be on the ballot for on the fi- among the finalists for, for most improved. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think that kind of leads to uh, who will have the most rebounds on the team this next year. Uh, Cully Stein led it last year with eight and a half about that. Uh, Bagley was second, and we talked about him getting some more minutes. Uh, do you guys have a pick aside from Bagley for most rebounds? Start with you, Tim. Uh, no, I, I, I would stick with Bagley. He's, he's been a really strong rebounder this preseason. He had a couple of rough games against the Pacers, but the Pacers also start two massively talented uh, rebounders. So I, I, don't, I don't know how much of that I can hold against him, although I, I did in the moment. Uh, but he averaged 9.8 rebounds in preseason in 27 minutes a game. So that seems to indicate that he is more focused on that end of the floor and, and wants to become that guy for the Kings. And if that's, a, if that's the case... Um, even from a minutes perspective, the other bigs are all going to average between you know 15 and 25, 28 minutes a game. Bagley's going to be 32 to 36 minutes a game. So like even just basically from a per minute standpoint, he's going to lead. The, he's going to lead the team. Yep, I agree there as well. Um, it's it, the minutes. It's not necessarily he's going to be the best rebounder, but the minutes are going to put him over the top for sure. Um, and then let's. Just just to round out these awards because these are these are the uh, standard season awards. Who is going to be rookie of the year for this team? Not a lot of hot uh, hot candidates here, but there's some guys. I mean, Kyle Guy might play a little bit. Um, Justin James might play a little bit. Go go ahead. I don't need to to prop you guys up with the with this list, but uh, let's start with you, Brendan. I'm actually going to go Winyan Gabriel. Um, I, I think that he could have more chance than a Kyle guy, Justin James. Um, there's a lot of guards on the roster. And I think that, you know, there is some injury concerns with um, even, even Deadman, like is, could likely men- miss 10 games. He tends to have uh, uh, minor in- uh, ankle injuries that happen. We know Bagley's concerns and Giles as well. I think that Gabriel could sneak some minutes. I really wouldn't want to pick anybody for this for the Kings, but I think that I'd pick Gabriel above uh, Guy or James. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. That was my pick as well. Was Winyan, whether that's uh, in his new his two way contract right now. Um, I, I I don't have any faith in Justin James. I, I've seen him play obviously only in summer league in preseason, and he has just done nothing to to make me believe he's going to be an impact player at any time. Hopefully, I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot, so hopefully that's another time I'm wrong. Um, and Kyle Guy um, can shoot the lights out of the ball, has some passing ability, but Wenyan seems like the one most likely to get minutes. I don't really understand where the Kings believe him to be as a player, whether he's a like a small forward, power forward, or center, because he seems to play all three of those depending on the situation he's in. So the fact that he's very versatile, unlike Guy, and I think he's just a better player than James, I, I would roll with Gabriel as well. Um, you with us as well, Richard? I I don't know. So first of all, Wenyan, I forgot was a rookie because he did spend quite a bit of time with the Kings last year. But he, you're you're absolutely right. He did not see the court, so he will keep his rookie designation. Um, I don't know. I, I I think this. I have. I do not have a ton of faith or really optimism around Justin James. But the fact that this team drafted him where they did, and then signed him to a full NBA contract when they did, you know, it tends to leads me to believe that he'll get the most minutes of this group. I am a lot higher on Wenyan than other, the other two of these guys. However, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. This is, this is a tough, this is a tough question because it's no one's going to be a good candidate here. Um, I don't think Kyle guy gets a lot of minutes. This is really going to be who plays best in like, the last five minutes of blowouts. So yeah, I guess I I'll go with you guys. I'll go with you guys on one. By the way, um, I'll just say by the way that that he seems to be the leading candidate for that final spot, as mentioned by Jason Anderson, when he came on here a couple days ago, um, he did tell us that the mystery player uh, quote unquote is going to be someone that was with the team and he thinks it's Wenyan. We don't know for sure, but, if it is, that would that would suggest that he'll get more playing time than than maybe I thought. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails 
chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, and I think uh, we went through all those awards there, right, Rich? That's right. Okay. Um, I think we can throw, I have a couple questions here and we'll go through some Twitter questions as well. But one I have uh, of a guy we haven't really mentioned much and is a fan favorite, obviously, is Harry Giles. Um, Rich, you asked me the other day, and I think you had a really good number for it. What do you feel like, Rich, the over-under on 800 minutes for Harry Giles is? I know we touched on it yesterday, but I've been reflecting on it a little bit. He played 820 last year. Yeah, I set this over under at 800, and I think we both agreed on the under. We don't want that, but it feels a little bit safer right now. Where are you on that number, Tim? Yeah, I would go under as well, as, as depressing as that is. And like you said, we kind of have to build our offensive. Of course, we don't want that to be the case. But there has been no indication since the end of last year that Harry Giles is healthy. Um, I think, you know, we go back, we, we watch the video of the injury, and it certainly doesn't look like a thigh injury in that moment. And the fact that at first it was no structural damage, he'll, he won't miss any time, to we're holding him out for precautionary reasons for a couple of days, to, okay, he's going to miss the rest of the season, to he's going to miss summer league, to he's going to miss preseason. And who knows what's happened in between, and it's never fun to speculate about injury. But he doesn't seem healthy, even from the few you know clips of practice you watch. And he's just kind of gingerly walking around and shooting jump shots without jumping. Um, I, I, don't, I don't expect him to play a lot this season, as sad as that is. And, and there's also the fact that right now I would have him ranked, ranked as the fifth best big on the team because Rashawn Holmes has been so good that even if he is healthy, I'm, I'm not really sure how he's going to see the court. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you'd like to think that he wasn't even out there that often last year, but to take a little bit less than that, it's difficult not to with everything that you guys are saying here. Um, I'll throw one more out here and then maybe we can get one of yours. Rich is, uh, will anyone get traded on this team? I feel like the obvious candidate is Bielitsa. um, But do you think there's potential of like Yogi being a decent third string guy Maybe someone like Atlanta could use a backup point guard or a Trevor Ariza that seems to move around a lot. Do you uh, feel like any of those guys have potential to get moved at some point this year, Tim? I think so. I think, I think we'll see one trade from the Kings this year. Maybe two, maybe like a, last year we went the Shumpert-Burks trade. That was kind of a, a nothing trade that didn't end up working out very well. But um, I think we'll see one or two of the veterans moved. Um, maybe a couple, we have, we still have a billion second round picks coming up in all of our first round picks. So the Kings have some, have some ability to move some pieces and, and maybe make an upgrade here or there. Uh, so yeah, I, I would think Bielitsa, Pharrell, and, um, and Ariza would be the three candidates on, on my plate that I would have potentially trading. And you all should be proud of me for not mentioning Bogey's name at all. Pharrell. I like that. I like the new, the slut, the, uh, effective yeah. pronunciation there. You know, he, he it's more fun it that way. He makes us happy. Um, <laughs> that was a terrible pun. I don't. You're rubbing <laughs> off on me. You're rubbing off on me, Tim. It took me a second. Influencing. Influencing. That's true. You are quite the influencer. Um, yeah, but okay. So uh, you think though? You you would think, Tim, that it's those peripheral guys. Those are the only real candidates to be to be moved. I think so. I mean, could I see the Kings going all in this year? Maybe they're right on the cusp of the playoff race and they go for someone that becomes available. One guy that's been in my head since the end of last year has been Blake Griffin. I think he's going to get moved. And I think he fits relatively well with Bagley and he's a top 20 player was a top 20 player last year. So I, I could see the Kings going all in and, and using one of those trades where they put a couple of young guys, a pick solidly for lever, whatever. And they, and they make that work. But I think the chances of that happening are, are relatively low as the chances of any of those types of trades happening are always low. I feel like you told me the other day or I saw you on Twitter or something saying that you felt that Blake Griffin would be a king by the end of the year. You felt that that was likely. I did. Yeah. Where based, can you explain this to me? You explained a little bit of a case for it from the Kings perspective. Can you explain that to me from the Detroit perspective? I don't think they're going to be good. I, 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 I just don't, I don't see that team going anywhere. And I think, 
if Detroit is well out of the playoffs by nearing the trade deadline. And now they've got Drummond, who looks like he's probably going to leave this offseason. I think I think he's already said he's going to decline his player option, if I remember from the summer correctly. He's already talking as if he's a free agent. So if they're losing Drummond and they're wanting to kickstart another rebuild, then, then Griffin's the guy they're going to move. Now, do the Kings have the pieces they're, they're attracted to? I have no idea. But he feels like a guy the Kings would pursue. From the Detroit perspective, who knows? I'll just assume they want him. They want our players. Yeah, I would hate it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that he's quite like the pace guy that he used to be. He's a lot slower and more of a playmaker. Um, I, I totally understand your argument, but I would just – I would not like to see it. I mean – I mean, you'd probably only be given up, you know, say um, some of the older guys and then the young piece would be like a bogey or Giles, uh, which there's a chance they're not on the team uh, in a few years anyways. But uh, I just, it's too, it's too win now for me when this team's timeline is in the future. Yeah, I'm not saying it's, it's necessarily a genius move. Like, I don't know if I would support it or not but I could see the Kings getting aggressive, um, you know, trying to break that playoff streak and trying to get deep in the playoffs. I agree that Griffin's uh, age doesn't necessarily line up with the timeline of Fox and Bagley and their ages. He's going to be well out of his prime by the time they hit their prime. So I'm not necessarily saying it's a great deal, but I could see something like that occurring. Yeah. What about like Kevin Love? That's Tony's guy. Same, same logic there though, right? Like a team that, that you feel will probably not be in the playoff race and then, um, you know, could be traded for assets. An older guy, same kind of position do you see? I mean, is that – I know it's Tony's guy, but is that, is that the same argument there? Yeah, I think so. And, and Love would probably be cheaper even. Like, I don't think many teams would look at Kevin Love's massive contract and his age and injury history and go, oh, yeah, let me, let me give up major assets for that. So I, I think he would be a cheaper – griffin type option and, and yeah I, I could see something similar occurring there as well and he'd be a great he'd be a pretty good fit next to bagley although not defensively so you're convinced at this point that the kings will not trade trade bogdan bogdanovich despite your tireless attempts to make that happen you know i i i, w- I wouldn't say they won't trade him but there's no there's no it's not necessary at this point my whole my whole trade bogey thing aside from half being half facetious and just making people angry because that's something I enjoy doing um, was all about the salary cap and, and the future salary. But I I've done quite a bit of cap work and, and trying to figure out the King's future um, over the past few weeks. And there's absolutely a way to make it work where they pay buddy, pay bogey, max Fox, max Bagley, keep Barnes and still avoid the luxury tax. So that'll be tight. So as, as long as you can avoid the luxury tax, which I don't think Vivek will pay, then I'm, I'm obviously more than happy to keep him on the team as a six man. Yeah, see, I, I just, I think that, you know, so the, the pick of Nemanja is most likely to be traded. That's fine. I understand the logic just because he is a piece that other teams could use. He's getting a little bit older. He's not necessarily a part of this core. I get all that, but I think that it's ignoring the very real concept of having two shooting guards that need to be paid Um, and I think that there's a in terms of the logic here not that I support it but I I really do feel like it's it's much more likely that Bogdan or Heald were to be traded if uh, if if a trade if a significant trade occurred because again like yeah trading Farrell for something in like a Burke Shumpert type of way is not really what I'm speaking to here, but in a trade that's impactful, I feel like this this logjam of shooting guards is 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 real. I, I, I you know I, I agree with you that they could pay them both, but Buddy Hield has also been hinting at a trade request. He's not come out and said that yet. Um, Jason Anderson has come on here and explained what he felt like were significant signs to that as a possibility if he does not get his extension. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. What do you think the odds are, Tim, that Buddy Heald, A, requests a trade, and then B, is, in fact, traded? I think low. I, w- I would be so, so disappointed in Buddy if he, if he demanded a trade over the rookie scale extension. He's my favorite player on the Kings. He's been my favorite player on the Kings basically since we got him. 
Um, he's like the one current Kings jersey I have. Um, and the reason being is I, I went and looked at this up the other day. Over the last, it was either three or four years. I don't remember which. If you add up all the draftees from all those years, 6.7% of them have gotten a rookie scale extension. It's basically three or four guys per year get a rookie scale extension, and the rest of their market is decided by restricted free agency. So it, it's not like the Kings are insulting Buddy by saying, we're going to let the market decide your value. That is that is a legitimate business decision by the Kings, and I think it's a smart business decision by the Kings. So I think the chances are low just because it feels more like posturing to me and agent influence than an actual trade request because if Buddy doesn't get his extension, he's a, he's entering restricted free agency no matter what, whether it's with the Kings or with his new team. So he's going to be in the same position. Um, so I, I don't think it's likely that he, he does demand a trade. And if he does, then I think Vladi will move him because Vladi is a very big loyalty guy. And, he, you know, he always says, I want players who want to be here. He has a history of drafting, only drafting people that will work out in Sacramento. So I think if Buddy does go down that route, we'll see Buddy moved within the first couple months of the season, which would make me sad. And the Kings also wouldn't get a ton of value for him if the trade demand came around. Um, and that, that would be kind of worst case scenario for the Kings. Yeah, I, I don't see it as the most likely, I think because I'm fairly confident that a deal gets done. Um, but, you know, Toronto, which was one of the higher cap teams, just gave Siakam that extension. It's another team off the table with cap space, and it really comes down to uh, Atlanta and Memphis, and I guess New York and Cleveland are in there as well. Um, but I think that Rich and I kind of identified Memphis as really being a team that could potentially throw a max contract at Buddy, but... Uh, I mean, what do you think the likelihood of a deal getting done is? Because I think Rich and I, correct me if I'm wrong, Rich said like 70%, maybe a little bit upwards of that we were feeling. I don't know if that's changed at all for you, Rich. Um, because obviously if a deal gets done, none of this trade talk has happened. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I, I would be surprised if a deal doesn't get done. You know, even you look at the interactions between Buddy Hield and Vlade over the past, you know, a couple of funny clips that have posted with them talking and, Buddy throwing at the money signs. It seems like there's still a good relationship there, even if Buddy's frustrated um, in the media. So they're not that far apart. I know $20 million sounds like a lot to be apart, but from an NBA perspective, that's $5 million per year. That's not that much money. So I, I think they'll end up getting a deal done. I, I, I do predict that the Kings won't give him his full $110 million because now it looks like you caved to a trade demand, and then what's that going to set up your future with your other restrictive regents or you know other people on the team and in, in the organization? So I think they'll go slightly lower than that in like the hundred and five million dollar range, but I, I will be surprised if they don't get a deal done. So I want to challenge you a little bit, Tim, here on that stat about six or seven percent of rookies getting their extension because I don't know that that's a fair representation of Buddy's situation. Um, because you're talking about all rookies and many of those second round picks and pick, you know, players that just genuinely wouldn't be considered for that um, because their, their play on the court wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, encourage that type of money. Wouldn't, um, you know, deserve that type of money, quite yeah. frankly. But if you look at the players that were drafted in the year, buddy was picked a lot of these guys that, that are quality near the top of the draft are getting those offers or have already signed the deals. Ben Simmons signed to the max. He was pick one that year. Ingram has not gotten an offer, but I feel like that is somewhat related to his health and his changing of teams. Jalen has been offered um, an extension. Dragon Bender is not good enough. Chris Dunn is not good enough. Then Buddy Heald has you know this going on, and Jamal Murray after him got that super max as well. Um, you know, Marquise, Chris, these guys aren't going to get it just after them. But, any, you know, of this, this group of guys that was drafted high and has played very well, it seems like most of these guys do get offered extensions or, or you know, and maybe half of them get something done. Does that change at all what, where you're coming from or where I'm coming from? I, I think that's a fair point. But, um, I mean, Buddy's been offered an extension, right? So it's not like the Kings said, no, we're not giving you any money. Now, he may not agree with their offer, and I may not agree with their offer. I don't agree with their offer. I think they should bump it up a hair to like $100 million, which I think, Rich, you and I have, have kind of settled somewhere in that range in the past. Um, and I, I would give him close to 110 just to get the just get the stupid thing done. Um, but, you know, Jalen Brown, I, I would say that they're – 
I don't know who thinks Jalen Brown is better than Buddy Heald or Buddy Heald is better than Jalen Brown, but I, I would say they're comparable players. They both got comparable offers and neither one is signing it. And that's, that's their right from a business perspective. But I just, I don't see how Buddy goes from this team offered me $90 million, which is a lot of money. It's not as much as maybe he believes to, okay, I want to trade because you know, I, I hope we obviously don't know what's happening at the negotiations table, right? But I, what I would hope and what I would assume that the Kings are have some smart cat people on team, they would say is, okay, buddy, listen, you know, let's just say they're offering $90 million. We're not offering $90 million today. And if you don't accept that deal, that's up to you. And we can negotiate from here. And then if you enter restricted free agency, we are, we are telling you that as, as long as things go according to plan, we'll match, we'll match an offer for you. Because I don't think any of us believe that the Kings are going to let buddy go in restricted free agency, right? So he's getting his money either way. It's just a matter of, he may have to wait to see what the market sets his value at. And that's, that's just a part of the business. And that, that's where I come from of not a lot of guys get these deals. He did get a, a pretty good offer compared to some of his um, comparable players in his draft class and the market's terrible. So he's got to realize that the Kings are making a smart business decision here. That, that's where I'm coming from. The 6.7% sure, that may not be a great number in, in the end all be all, but three or four or five guys get these offers per year. And that's essentially what's happened this year. And you said that you felt that it was a smart business move to allow the market to dictate Buddy's price um, and allow him to go to free, uh, restricted free agency. Could you elaborate on that? I know also Tim wrote a great piece on Sackdown Royalty. Everyone should go read titled The Kings Hold Every Opportunity to Keep Buddy Healed Long-Term. Can you elaborate on that and the thesis of this piece, which I believe, and correct me if, it's, if I'm wrong, but is you know, essentially that, that Sacramento holds the chips here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the max amount another team can offer healed in restricted free agency is four years, about $124 million. It really depends on how the cap actually sets up, but it's about $124 million. And so from the Kings perspective, they know what the end all be all number is. So they know, Hey, listen, if like worst case scenario, buddy goes to Memphis or Atlanta and gets a max offer, we're paying them 124 million. And I would hope that they would go, yep, because we don't have the cap space to replace Buddy because they're not going to have cap space no matter what. So we don't have the cap space to replace Buddy. So we're going to match any offer. Okay, so if we look at worst case scenario, we know we're going to keep him. Okay, best case scenario, we get him for under market value, either at the extension price of 90 million or 100 million, wherever we want to talk about with that. Um, or he goes into restricted free agency. You know, we see guys every year that go into either unrestricted or restricted free agency, and they don't get the deals they're seeking. We saw that with Willie Cauley-Stein this summer. We've seen it with Julius Randle. You, I mean, there's a dozen names we can name where we're surprised with deals. Clint Capella in his year, you know, a lot of people thought he would get a max, and I think he got like four for 78 or something like that. So if Buddy walks into this really tight market um, with only four teams that can offer him a large deal, and there's multiple competitive players like a Jalen Brown, a Brandon Ingram, um, and, and other guys from his class. He might only get an offer for four years, seventy million, you know. And then if the Kings go, yep, that's the most you got. So sign that offer sheet, and now you're playing for I don't know, twenty-two million dollars a year, twenty million, eighteen million dollars a year. That's an even bigger benefit for the Kings. So I think the biggest misconception we've seen and it's not even a misconception frankly it's just straight up misleading people from some parts of people that are writing and talking about the buddy Heald situation is they'll go well if the kings let buddy Heald, you know if this contract extension doesn't happen what happens this summer and the answer is the kings match any offer if they're smart um so the only danger is the buddy Heald trade offer or trade request which we've kind of said probably won't happen so like you i think you put it really really well rich is the kings hold all the chips so they have zero pressure to give into Buddy's demands because they control his future no matter what. Yeah, and I, I do want to mention that obviously Buddy Hield is a lot older than a lot of these guys that are getting contracts. You know, people get paid based on what you think they can become. Uh, Andrew Wiggins yeah. is a fine example that uh, didn't turn out quite that way. But Buddy Hield, you pretty much you're you're getting what you've seen. Uh, you mentioned that there is maybe a little bit. Uh, higher that he could go with his play, but it's not going to be much. He's 26 years old. These other guys that are getting max extensions like uh, Siakam, Simmons, and Murray are all, what, 22 years old, and you're paying yeah. for upside as well on top of what you've seen. So I think that's an important note, but totally agree with what you said, that uh, I think that if it came down to it, Sacramento would pay that, that max contract come this offseason, 
it, it's just uh, important on as long as they're able to negotiate with Buddy that, okay, we're, we're going to have you here no matter what, and there's not an unhappiness and uh, this cloud over the season uh, with with uh, Buddy's looming offseason or potential trade request. What's your reaction, yeah. Brendan? Um, sorry, go, go ahead if you had something there, Tim. Oh, I was just going to say, too, there's the final point is, you know, this last, summer, this last summer and, like, summer of 2016, right, we saw so much money spent. So if Buddy was entering this past offseason, if that makes sense, um, wanting $110 million, I would be much more um, for the Kings matching that offer because I would say, no, 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 he's definitely going to get a max contract this summer. But because the market is tight, markets set value for players, not production. Uh, so I, I just don't see why the Kings would give in at this time. Go ahead, Rich. Well, that, that's, no, that's a perfect transition because I wanted to ask um, for Brendan's reaction to that, that statement about the tight market because, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you've been on the side, Brendan, that you feel like there is so few good players in this market that Buddy is basically guaranteed to get a max offer. What is your, what is your reaction to that statement that, in fact, it's kind of the opposite where – Yes, there's not an amazing free agent class, but there's also very little money. Yeah, you know, I, I've kind of evaluated a little bit more. I think we had a, a good conversation about it. And I still think that Atlanta would lean towards it because I think that uh, they could even be competing, competing for a playoff spot. I think that we've seen how Buddy just works so well with pace and space, and that's exactly what Atlanta does, even though Herder is a great player. Um, I think he could fall into sort of a bogey for them type role and Memphis as well, but it's not Lux. Like I quite thought it was, you're right. Previously I, I was like, you know, buddy will get a max if, if he hits the open market and I'm not so sure on that anymore. I, I think that uh, with how young some of these teams are, like I think Memphis could talk themselves into paying uh, Jalen Brown instead of, of buddy Hugh because he fits the timeline a little bit better. Uh, New York and Cleveland are both extremely young as well. So I'm not as, as sure on it as I was, but I, I do think that he could see about like that hundred million range um, on the open market from even a, a Charlotte would have that money or like I mentioned, Atlanta and Memphis. The Kings Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it. And, and thank you very much for listening. So let me, this all came from our most likely to be traded conversation. It doesn't sound like any of us really think that Buddy will, you know, is likely to be traded. But let me just, let me rephrase it all, encapsulating what we've discussed into one question to both of you, starting with Tim. True or false, Buddy Heald will be playing for the Kings next year, and he will be on a contract uh, of, of less than $100 million guaranteed. Is that two separate questions? Yeah, kind of an A and B. Okay, yeah. So true, he will be on the team. Uh, are you saying an extension or a contract? His contract will, be, will have a guarantee value of less or, you know, over under $100 million. I would say over, just over $100 million yes, he'll be on the team. And I think it ends up happening in a contract extension. I am the same there. I'm pretty confident that Buddy Heald will end up on the team next year. 
And uh, I, I would agree. I think an extension, I think about that 105 point is where I'm at. But at the same time, if Buddy's stuck on 110, that's not much of a difference over five over four years. So I'm going to be on the hot take side and say that he is on the, on the uh, he will be on the team, but he will be making less than $100 million on his next contract. Um, but yeah, let's, let's touch on this question. We're going to get to some final win totals and some playoff seating uh, standings in the West. But one last thing, I don't think we ever touched on who is going to be leading this team in scoring because there's some good, uh, you know, there's a couple of good candidates on this team. I mean, let me put this to, let's go to you, Brendan, first. Um, who's going to be the leader in points per game for this team? I think it's still going to be Buddy Heald. Um, I, I think that this is going to be close, that you could make an argument for Fox or Bagley here, um, more so Fox, I would lean. But I, I think I'm still going Buddy here, and I don't think that his number of last year was 20.7 maybe goes a bit higher, but I just think that there's a, a lot more options on the team this year. We know about the depth, but I, I still think Buddy will be at the top maybe by like a two-point difference over Fox. Yeah, same here. Uh, I, would, I would go Buddy. I saw an interesting tidbit, and I can't for the life of me remember where I saw this, so apologies to whoever found this. Um, but Fox's trainer came out and did say that Fox wanted to average between 23 and 24 points per game next year. So that kind of throws an interesting little wrench into the mix. I, I'm still going to go Buddy, and I'm going to put a little bit of maybe a hot take out there and say he is going to average more than 24 points per game. I think He's just, I think Luke Walton is going to unlock another part of his game that we saw him and Dave Yeager clash at times, even beyond that one big big episode. I think Walton is going to just give Buddy the, I think you called it the neon green light. He's going to be shooting even more threes than we've seen before and increasing his offensive production. So Buddy healed more than 24 points per game. Yeah, and that, that quote was from a Zach Lowe article that came out a couple of days ago. It was his uh, wild, yeah. wild predictions. And he actually said that he thinks Bagley's going to be the leading scorer. But yeah, the quote was that uh, Fox's trainer, Chris Gaston, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, said Fox has ambitions of averaging 23 or 24 points a game. Yeah, I'm going to go Bagley here as well, just by a hair. I think this is a really good question. I think this is kind of like, this breaks down pretty closely to like 35%, 35%, 30%. Likelihood, and I think it is a three-man race here between Heald, Bagley, and Fox. With I think Fox kind of in the third spot there. This is a good question. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean Bagley just a tiny little bit. Um, You know, his per 36 last year, 21.2 points per game. We expect him to be better this year, but he'll also be facing stiffer competition and be playing more minutes. So those those per 36 minutes aren't gonna like translate. That that's rarely how that happens. You know, you don't just play more minutes and automatically score that that amount of points. There's a lot of different factors here. But I do think that if he takes the step forward that I feel like he will, he and, and he is going to be a big focus of this offense as well. I just could see Bagley getting a lot of feeds. You know, he's going to be facing up. He's going to end up – we saw it with the Suns game in particular. He just ends up with the ball, like, right under the basket a lot. Anytime there's a bad defense, he's going to just feast. I could see him – you know, scoring 40 points in a game against a really bad defense. So I don't know. I, I, and let me, let me ask that, you know, who's going to have the highest single game total um, in points? Is there going to be a 50 point game from Buddy Heald? Is there going to be a 40 point game from back? Who's, who is going to score the most in one single night? Is it just going to be the same answer for you guys that it's Buddy? I'm going Bagley. Um, he had a huge scoring game. Last year, I think he scored, I don't remember what he scored, 32 or something like that against the Suns late in the season and was just a monster. And again, that was off of the bench in it was like 29 minutes or something like that. So I, I think you you said something really smart there, Rich, of Bagley just tends to score a lot. He just gets buckets in whatever weird way he gets them. And while Buddy has the advantage of hoisting up a lot of threes, um, I'm going to go a little bit off path here and go Bagley. Yeah. Um... I definitely understand the Bagley argument, but I think I'm still going Buddy. I think that Buddy will break 40 at some point this year. Um, Buddy's Buddy's a safe argument for sure. Yeah, he had seven games at 30-plus last year. Um, And like like we mentioned, I mean, Luke Walton wanted to get more threes up. I think if Buddy got hot in a game, uh, I think that he could break 40 this year. All right, well, let's move on to – 
playoff situation standings and wins. Let's save the win total for the very last question, but let's talk about playoffs here. Real, uh, you know, we'll get to which teams could fall out, but to make this super simple, are the Kings a playoff team next year? Let's start with you, Tim. Yes. I'm going bold here. I like I think the percentage chances are less than fifty percent, but I'm I wanna be positive and I wanna be like I'm gonna feel good about this team. So I'm gonna say yes. I, I think they beat the odds and make the playoffs. What about you, Brendan? I was no for a long time, but there's a team I have talked myself out of the playoffs and Sacramento taking their place. We'll get to the team, but I'm going yes. All right. I'm going to be the Debbie Downer and say no. Um, now let's talk about those teams falling out. So can we first, to, to frame this conversation, can we first agree what the, that the eight assumed teams in the West um, are the playoff teams from last year plus the Lakers minus the Thunder? And I can read off each name if we need to, but it seems like there's a pretty clear eight out there in terms of the Vegas over-unders. Um, is that, are you comfortable with talking about that eight as the teams that are expected to make the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, I, I am as well. And can we identify what teams that we think are fringe and potential of falling out? I have like San yes. Antonio and Golden State. Is there anyone else you want to add to there? Maybe Portland? That's, that's the question I wanted to ask next, which is put in order one, two, three of the teams that are most likely to fall out of that were the Kings to get in. Let's start with you, Tim. Uh, so order of teams most likely to fall out to get the Kings in, I would say number one most likely team would be the Spurs, followed by the Warriors, followed by the Blazers would be my ranking there, um, with the Spurs being very much at the top of that tier, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Golden State first and San Antonio second. Uh, I think that those are the clear one, two and after that, uh, Portland, and I want to throw the Lakers in there as well because I think if AD went down with an injury and same with LeBron, if they missed a significant chunk of games, that they're really reliant on them. Um, I, I don't see it as likely. I think the clear one and two is Golden State and San Antonio, though. For me, I am with Tim with his three teams. I'm, I'm, I'm really with both you guys, but my particular order would be uh, Spurs one, Trailblazers two, Warriors three. Now let's talk about that scenario. Tim, you you put it out there today, um, really clearly on Twitter. You believe the Spurs will miss the playoffs and the Kings will take their spot. How how does that happen? Explain the scenario. Yeah, I mean the Spurs. I'm not, I don't have their offseason memorized, but I look at their offseason. There wasn't a great addition like I mean the Spurs were good last year but you've got Aldridge is a year older DeRozan is a year older they are very um, reliant on jump shooting in the mid-range which the mid-range gets more of a, a bad rap than it should but they're they're not necessarily a modern offense um, so I, I think you could just cut if you if you think the Kings are going to make the playoffs you just got to kind of pick one of those teams and the Spurs although they've made the playoffs for 650,000 years in a row um, they're the exact opposite of the Kings as an organization. At some point, they will miss. And I think the Kings are just good enough to push them out to where it's, it's the Spurs collapsing a bit and also just the Kings. And also I had the Pelicans above them simply rising above. I think the argument for the Spurs' big addition would probably be getting DeJounte Murray back. I think, Rich, you yeah. picked him as your most improved player, right? He is my choice for most improved, yeah. Yeah, I think the question becomes, though, how much better does he make them than Derek White did? Because they do have similar roles. I think DeJounte is a, lot, uh, a better player, but really, I mean, the, a lot of the scoring is going to go likely to Aldridge and DeRozan, and Derek White was had a great year last year as a defensive focused and minded playmaker, which DeJounte is kind of going to do the same thing. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the issue that I have with that argument is that they have both. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not like they lost Eric White in right. order to add DeJounte. But yeah. it was – explain me – so, you know, that scenario is there, and it makes sense. Just that the, the age-based regression for the Spurs 
um, you know, is, is larger than the addition of getting DeJounte back. You know, therefore, they get slightly worse and the Kings get better based on their offseason moves. That makes sense to me. But, you know, um, tell me about the Warriors version here, uh, Brendan. How does that happen? I mean, I don't think they have anybody on their team outside of their top three players and Kevon Looney. Like, it, it really comes down to that. Like, the depth of this team, I didn't realize how horrendous it really is. Um, it is ugly. Oh, my God. God, like watching some of these preseason games, like I want to be like, oh, this is just a preseason lineup. But I'm like, no, this is their bench. And then it's running like they're going to have one of D'Lo or Steph on the floor at most times, it looks like, smartly. Um, But what is the wing defense? What is the guard defense on this team? Um, And if Steph goes down, what do they do? Um, I, I just feel like I have a lot more questions and less faith in this Warriors team, just from really realizing how terrible this roster is outside of their top three guys, and then mentioning Looney as well. Like, we talk bad off-seasons. Warriors are one of the worst ones there with Iguodala, KD, and Clay. I mean, those are three elite players that really did so much for this team that uh, I've talked myself out of a Golden State in the playoffs. What do you think about that, Tim? I think I think the Curry injury. That's that's the key, right? Curry missed 13 games last year, and some of those might have been due to rest that he might not have missed if you know things were going differently with the Warriors. But if he misses any significant portion of the season, or he's got uh, you know maybe an on, like an ongoing ankle issue or something like that, where he's constantly missing one or two games here or there, the Warriors don't have anyone. I mean, to Brendan's point, take the three best Warriors players off the roster real quick and take the three best Hornets players off their roster and which team is better. And I don't know. And that's terrifying for the Warriors. (laughs) So that's something I thought of yesterday. Like as bad as the Hornets are, if the Warriors lose a star, they are not as bad of a team because they have their two stars, but their, their depth is just so bad. And the other thing for me is you've also got regular season Draymond, which is a different player than playoff Draymond. Now, hopefully for the Warriors sake, if we're talking about from the Warriors perspective, Hopefully, from their perspective, he steps it up and is in shape during the regular season, which he struggled with before. And then D'Angelo Russell, I think, is a pretty good player. He's not an all-star in the West. So we can call him a star player. I don't think he's better than De'Aaron Fox. So they've really got one of the top five players in the NBA, one of the best playoff defensive players, and then a pretty good player, really good player. I don't know how you want to describe D'Angelo Russell. And then not much underneath that. So if, if there's a Curry injury a significant injury or an ongoing issue, I think they're toast to Brendan's point. Yeah, it makes sense to me too. I think if you take those three guys off the team, the best lineup you can put on the floor is something like Jordan Poole, Alec Burks, Glenn Robinson the third, Kevon Looney, and Willie Kelly-Stein. And that is like a really grim situation. Uh, and I believe they just cut – Alfonso McKinney, yes, I don't who is like their best, their best small forward on the roster, really, in order to sign Marquise Chris. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. I, I mean, Chris has looked decent. It's been preseason, you know, but maybe it's a guy they can kind of mold into a, uh, like, just the center role that they like, stand in the dunk spot, set hard screens. I don't know what he's going to bring on the defensive end. But, and that's really what it comes down to for this team is, like, that backcourt. I think Curry is, is a decent defender for all the crap that he gets. I don't think he's horrific, uh, but he's definitely not good. And same with D'Lo, especially with how much of a, uh, of a weight they're going to carry on the offensive end. And then their small forward, I don't know anybody that can play defense from their small forward position. And the backcourt and the small forward position is where most of the offense comes from in the NBA. So I don't see how they're stopping people. And I, I mean, Draymond just can't guard five people. And I think Looney's a decent defender, but more so in switches than rim protection. The defense is really where I struggle here for this Golden State team. Yes, I think the downfall of the Warriors is their hubris in uh, with these Marquise Chris Willie Collie Stein moves. But yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to come around to you guys, and I'm going to say that these are my top two. Uh, is this everyone's top two teams most likely to fall out, or did I miss? Uh, I know Trailblazers were thrown in there as a third. Yeah, I think we, we all try? agreed. Yeah. 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 All right, these are our teams, and then let's get to it. Final question. 
Uh, yeah, let's just get to it. I really, really, really struggle with this. But, you know, you guys both put them in the playoffs. So I'm going to need that win total, guys. Let's start with you, Tim. Oh, man, that's tough, right? Because, like, two weeks ago, I had the Kings winning, I think, like, 43 games or 44 games. I don't remember. And it's going to take more than that. So I'm going to be a little ballsy here and say 47 wins just slides them in the playoffs because I think the lower half of the West is going to all win, you know, high mid, mid-30s to low 40s. So I'm going to say 47 gets them in the door. Yeah, last week uh, or last episode we asked this, I had them at 40. So uh, wow. I, I've talked myself into like really looking at the depth compared to the rest of the teams. We compared uh, the Kings on a recent episode to every other team in the league. And I, I think that they really can take some of these. I'll, I'll go one under you, and I have the same argument that uh, I, I think a lot of the teams in the West are going to get get some wins here. And, yeah, I, I'm going to go with 46. But this is – this is fluctuating and I'm going to need to set a hard number by our next episode, the final one before season starts. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's a big change to go from 40 to 46 in a weekend where basically only bad things happened for the game. <laughs> uh, it, it was just looking at that bench more. Yeah, really that. And, and some of these other teams in the West, yeah, I think that there's places where they can take advantage. I, I think that the Kings are well-rounded, and yeah, a lot of it does come down to, to that bench. All right, well, I'll close it out here, and, and your boy is going to stick with his guns. I got 42 wins for this team, and I was at 45 for a while, but this Buddy Heald situation, the unhappiness that we're seeing from him, the lack of perceived, and I will note it's only perceived chemistry there is a concern to me. I've heard reports that the team is not gelling quite yet. I think there's some growing pains with this team in terms of new additions, you know, and that's to be expected. Sometimes, you know, not every new piece is going to fit together perfectly. You know, I think they could hit a stride later in the season, but I feel like there's a little bit of choppy waters in terms of the chemistry on this team at least for the moment so i'm gonna stick with my guns at 42 yeah i understand that and i hope that this chemistry stuff all disappears by i believe it's 6 p.m on monday i hope that buddy has this contract and it all goes away and he seems i mean from the little bit of videos that we've seen that have come out since it doesn't seem as bad as his locker room interviews and maybe this is just a part of playing the game to get to get that number offer up but i'm hoping that this doesn't stick around and and just one more one more word to your point about the chemistry rich is hopefully we know there are obviously major other issues on the side but Walton is a unifier of this team. Um, that was one of his big selling points, I think, to Vladi when he was hired, and that's been one of his biggest successes as a coach. Is he is a unifier and he's a he's a player's coach, and that is the exact opposite we saw from Dave Yeager last year, who I think drove a lot of rifts into the team. So I think the on-court chemistry definitely um, has some question marks just with the new additions, like you said. But hopefully, the locker room chemistry is even stronger than last year because of the addition of a player's coach like Walton versus Yeager, who. I think we've all realized uh, the players didn't necessarily like. Yeah, well, I think that's going to do it. I, I hope that you were right, Tim. Um, but let's just make sure here to plug all your stuff. Tell them where they can they can read your your articles and your tweets, my man. Yeah, uh, so you'll find me at Sacktown Realty, just uh, same place. Rich writes under Baby Draft is my username on there. You can find me at Tim Maxwell twenty two. And uh, you can just search Stacktown Baby Giraffe, look for the guy with the puns and the stats, and that's going to be me. Oh, yeah. And let's, let's sneak a food take in here. I know you got something, oh, something absolutely horrible and disgusting cooked up here. Uh, you just want a random food take? I know you got him. Don't, don't act like you don't. Uh, I think we talked about – did we talk about raisins last time? I don't know. I'll just say it. Raisins make almost everything better. Almost <laughs> you disgust me, sir. <laughs> they're delicious they're nature's candy like put them in a cinnamon roll your cinnamon roll is better put them oh, in God. yogurt and granola your yogurt and granola is better put them in monkey bread your monkey bread is better it literally what is monkey bread, bread. <laughs> monkey is, bread is, like, is that banana bread no it, it's it's um it's a you make it in a 
I don't even know what the pan type is called. My wife bakes. It's like a cinnamon sugar bread, basically. Look it up. It's tear apart bread. It's like cinnamon sugar. It's got a glaze on it. It's delicious. But if you add raisins, it's even more delicious. So I've got a downfall to this to this piece of logic here. So I, I went and I lived in South America um, for uh, about, a, about half a year in, uh, it's been a while, like five years, but uh, I lived in Colombia for three months and they put uh, raisins on their pizza there. Um, do you think that would make a pizza better? Because I can tell you <laughs> not. Okay, you put candy corn on your pizza, so there's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a weird <laughs> pizza guy, right? So, I am the weird pizza guy. Love a weird pizza. Candy corn pizza, pickle pizza, Skittles pizza. Oh, God. Hit me up there. But that'll do it. Uh, sorry to kill everybody uh, and all their taste buds and their imagination at the end of this, but, but that'll do it for me. I'll check my – yeah, make sure to follow me at Ivanowski NBA for weird pizza pictures. Yeah. And thanks again, Tim, for coming on. Uh, we got one more episode before the start of the season that'll be coming out on on. Uh, is that right? That'll be coming out uh, Wednesday morning. The the on the morning of the game, right, Rich? That's right. That'll be our final season predictions and previews. This is these are our predictions. We're gonna cook something up for uh, Wednesday. Maybe we'll just go straight through the schedule, but. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get something out there and, and also preview that game specifically. Yeah, sounds good to me. I'm, I'm going to set my hard number two for this win total. Um, I, I don't see myself budging at this point after making that ridiculous jump. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Thanks again for Tim to coming on. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode. You will hear from us again in the next couple days.